It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the Know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. I am Tony Bernetti from Feds, Federal Employee Defense Services, and today is a very rainy Friday, May 6, 2016, here in Washington, D.C. But we have an important show for you today. Uh, next week, we are celebrating Police Week here in Washington, D.C., with May 15th being National Peace Officers Memorial Day. So this is our annual show where we invite our good friends in from the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund to tell us about the week's events and how you can participate and honor those law enforcement officers who have made the ultimate sacrifice and died in the line of duty. The National Law Enforcement Officer Memorial Fund is, of course, one of the principal organizers for Police Week each year. So I'm pleased to have in studio with me their president and CEO, Craig Floyd. Craig, good morning and welcome to the show. Good morning, Tony. Always a pleasure to be here. Also with us from the Memorial Fund is Pat Montora, who was nice enough to join us by phone this morning. In addition to his work with the Memorial Fund, Pat is the founder and CEO of the Police Unity Tour, which is a four-day fundraising bicycle ride from New Jersey to Washington, D.C. When I think about Jersey to Washington, D.C., that sounds like more than a bicycle ride. <laughs> but its primary purpose is important, which is to raise awareness and honor those law enforcement officers who have died in the line of duty. And, Craig, I know it, they raise a heck of a lot of money uh, for the Memorial Fund as well. Um, Pat, good morning, and thanks for taking some time to be with us today. Good morning. It's an honor to be on your show. I should also mention uh, that Pat is also the former chief of police for the Florham Park Police Department in New Jersey. Uh, just a reminder that Fed Talk is brought to you by Federal Long-Term Care Partners. Long-Term Care Partners administers the Office of Personnel Management-sponsored Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program. For more information, go to www.ltcfeds.com. That's LTC feds.com. Craig, I always like to you know start this show uh, with you, obviously, um, just to kind of introduce to our listeners um, what the Memorial Fund is is all about and particularly uh, you know what it does and how it got involved in, in Police Week. Well, I think um, I'll start with some statistics that uh, really help to motivate us to do the work we do. One officer is killed somewhere in America every 60 hours. Uh, there are some 57,000 assaults and attacks by criminals on police officers every year in our country. And there are more than 100,000 officers injured in the line of duty. Um, and yet, despite those very daunting statistics, uh, we have some 900,000 sworn federal, state, local, territorial, and tribal officers in this country who go out every day putting their lives at risk for our safety and our protection. And too often, that service and that sacrifice is taken for granted. So in 1984, uh, I was working for a congressman at the time from New York City. His name's Mario Biaggi. 
He was a 23-year veteran of the New York City Police Department before he went to Congress and served for 20 years. Uh, I had the good fortune to be paired up with him right out of college. I went to George Washington University, wanted to work on Capitol Hill, and luckily I, I got uh, in the office of Congressman Mario Biaggi, a uh, legendary police officer from New York City, wounded 10 times in the line of duty. And it was Congressman Biaggi who introduced legislation to establish a National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial. Uh, and that uh, monument was authorized by Congress in 1984. His law uh, was enacted that year. Uh, we formed the organization, the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund, for the express purpose of building that national memorial for law enforcement. And uh, we dedicated that memorial in 1991. It sits proudly now in Judiciary Square here in Washington, D.C. For those in the area, that's the 400 block of E Street, Northwest Washington. Uh, subway stop right there, actually. You come right out of the subway and you're in the memorial space. Uh, and on the walls of that memorial are 20,789 names dating back to the first death in 1791. Actually, a uh, uh, upstate New York uh, sheriff, uh, Columbia County, his name was Cornelius Hogaboom, shot and killed in 1791. And every name uh, that we've uh, researched and confirmed since then that died in the line of duty has been added to those memorial walls. And now we're in the midst of building a national law enforcement museum. And uh, in addition to all that good work, we're uh, also promoting officer safety and wellness. And uh, uh, we've seen some very positive trends in that area over the last few years. And I'd like to thank our organization uh, is a big part of the reason why. Pat, I know we're going to talk to you a little bit later about um, your Unity um, tour, but I would like to get, get you to comment um, just to, from from your perspective, um, you know, as a law enforcement officer, as a former chief of police, you know, what it means to have a memorial like this here in Washington, D.C., and, you know, have the events, you know, that we're going to have next week uh, for police officers everywhere. Um, you know, what does it mean to, you know, folks like you who have worn the uniform and, and the people you serve with? Well, the first, the first thing that comes to mind is the, the first time I rode through the wall in 1997 being to the Memorial prior to that, uh, obviously, but, uh, riding through it, you, you, you get an opportunity to take a look at the sacrifice and, and to see the welcoming of, uh, from the people who are actually on the wall. You feel them. And you, and you get a sense of, of, of understanding what your job really is about. Your job is to protect the citizens, and you do it willingly and with, with honor and respect. So it, it, it's, a, it's a part of us that needs to be told not only to law enforcement or show to law enforcement, but also shown to the citizens. And by having that monument, that hollowed ground, it gives you the sense that you matter and that the people that sacrifice their lives matter as well. And the most important thing to me is, is that you have a cause, and the cause is to keep, uh, you know, justice within the, the front, forefront of everyone's mind. But you do it at a cost, and nothing is for free, and it comes at a cost sometimes with your life. And by honoring them and remembering them, and that's why our slogan from the Unity Tour is, We Ride for Those Who Died, it, it is, is basically the forefront on our jersey. You have to remember, and you can't forget, but most of all, the stories need to be told. And as Craig said, now our museum is here, and the full story will be told shortly. So as a chief of police, I'm, I, I was honored to know that we had uh, a memorial. But most of all, you felt it. it, it it's, it's a feeling as you being involved with the federal law, you know, and also myself in, in, in law enforcement. It's not just about mattering. It, it, it's about feeling 
what you do and believing in it. You choose this life. And in choosing this life, you'll do it irregardless of what is out there for you. But I say for law enforcement, this is the most unbelievable statement you could make and the gift of recognizing they're dead. Craig, how many, um, how would you estimate how many, um, you know, folks do you have, you know, come by the, the memorial each year? Do you have any statistics there? We keep rough estimates. Uh, we, we do some surveys from time to time, and it looks like about 300,000 visitors a year. Mm-hmm. A good number. Uh, but we're confident that when this National Law Enforcement Museum gets built in just a couple of years, that number is going to increase dramatically. Um, I, I worry that too many of our visitors that are not part of the law enforcement family don't know the stories behind the names that they're seeing on those walls. And, right. and it doesn't speak to them uh, as it should. And so this museum, by telling the stories behind the names on that wall, as well as the entire story of American law enforcement, I think people are really going to be educated, uh, entertained uh, by some of the experiences they're going to have in the museum, but also have a much deeper understanding uh, and appreciation for the value of law enforcement in our society. And we'll we'll um, get into a little bit more um, about the about the museum later later in the show. But um, you did recently break ground, right? Um, last month, and you've got a pretty aggressive schedule to be completed within a, within a few years. Correct? Oh, it's exciting. Uh, we've worked, uh, as you know, Tony, yeah. for more than fifteen years to build the National Law Enforcement Museum. Uh, it, we've raised fifty eight million dollars in private donations. Uh, and then the D.C. government, and I give them so much credit, they, they were so helpful in issuing a revenue bond, uh, tax-exempt revenue bond issuance to support our project. And that really put us over the top. There was a great underwriting bond firm. We worked with H.J. Sims. Uh, January, the bonds closed, and now we have all the money uh, to build the museum, and uh, we're well on our way. It'll open in 2018. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. I am here with Craig Floyd from the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund and Pat Montora from the Police Unity Tour. And we are discussing the events of Police Week set to commence next week here in Washington, D.C. We'll continue our discussion about Police Week after the break and a word from our sponsor. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. I'm Tony Vernetti, and I'm talking with Craig Floyd and Pat Montora from the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund about the events of Police Week, which start next week. And one of these events um, that Pat uh, founded is the Police Unity Tour, which looks like it got its start. Help me out here, Pat. 1997? Yes, 1997. And what, what motivated you to get that underway? Uh, it, you know, it, it, multiple things. Uh, the loss of uh, law enforcement officers, the funerals you attend, uh, a friend, uh, two officers from my own department. Uh, you want to you want to know what happens after the bagpipes stop playing and, and people leave the, the the memorial services of law enforcement and the media stops playing. You wonder, you know, who's going to uh, remember those officers? 
And as Craig said earlier, so eloquently, uh, that, uh, you know, the, the memorial does that. But I thought that, you know, there should be a, a message that was sent, not in a demonstration fashion, but a very quiet and, and, and honorable way. And in law enforcement, community policing was the forefront of getting out of the car, breaking down barriers, making sure you're, you're out there in the community and, and letting them know uh, who you are. And, but it was tough times. There was a lot of uh, negative media uh, uh, going on with law enforcement in specific cases. So bicycle patrol uh, was an important, uh, you know, tool for community policing. So we got together with a, with a, you know, a uh, few friends sending out, uh, you know, mailers and trying to tell people that, you know, we were going to do this uh, uh, bike ride from New Jersey to Washington, D.C. And the first, you know, uh, uh, I guess message back from most people was that that's crazy. What, you know, I'm riding your bicycle from New Jersey to Washington, D.C. And, uh, you know, about 50 or 60 letters of, 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 uh, of potential, uh, you know, participators, you know, said, you know, we would like to come. We ended up with 18, uh, you know, riders when we left in 1997. And we arrived as, uh, you know, independent officers from, you know, different states and, and different locations within the state of New Jersey. And we ended up to be lifelong friends. We presented a check of $18,000 that year. And that was a milestone in itself, you know. But the most important thing is we brought education to law enforcement agencies that had no understanding of whether the memorial existed or, or how many names were on there, or even if their own departments in the past had names. Didn't think it was going to be more than one year. Uh, and uh, as we were getting ready to come back to New Jersey, not on bicycles, but in our cars, um, we got together and said, you know, we, we need to, you know, stand together and, and, and provide, uh, you know, what we feel is honorable. And, and that is to continue this group. So we, we met with Craig, you know, obviously the first year and then continued to meet with, uh, you know, Craig as we started moving forward. And, uh, you know, the ride went from, you know, 1997 to the present date. And last year we presented a check at $2.1 million. Wow. Uh, which brought us up to over $18 million over the period of 19 years. And this year we hope to raise and, and be at the number of 20 plus million dollars for the National Law Enforcement Memorial. But it's like Craig said earlier, it's not really about, you know, just the money. It's about the education that you provide. You see how many officers are injured. And over the 18, 19 years, uh, you know, we're going into our 20th year, uh, you know, I look back and people would say, you know, did you ever think it would be 20 years? And I say to myself, you know, uh, it's not about, you know, thinking, you know, how many years it would be because that gives most things an end. I don't ever see the police unity tour ending because law enforcement is driven by honor and grace. And the most important thing is, is that uh, the slogans that you hear, you know, with regards to the National Law Enforcement Memorial, it's a matter of honor. And I've met the most amazing people within the profession that I love and then getting a second opportunity of doing something that I love, and that is to bring the awareness and, and the memories of our fallen. So a, a tribute to what we do is what the Unity Tour uh, is, is accomplishing. It also provides education and people to actually come to the National Law Enforcement Memorial. So it's the most amazing journey that I've been on. I, I hope this journey ends long after uh, you know, my last breath, and I believe it will. It's not about myself as being the founder. It is totally the we thing in law enforcement. And, uh, you know, I'm proud to say I'm a part of it, and I'm honored to serve with everybody uh, that has uh, 
been a participant as a rider or a support staff because we can't move without all engines firing on, on the same cylinders. And that's every single person from administrative staff to our sponsors, uh, to the officers, to the departments who sacrifice their officers during the time that they leave. And most of all, the importance of us are making our journey safely to our hallowed ground, which is in Washington, D.C. A couple quick questions, uh, Pat. So somehow, just out of curiosity, and some I think our listeners um, would want to know. How, one is how many how many riders do you anticipate um, having um, this year? Um, and then, do you have to be, you know, a law enforcement officer to participate in the ride? Okay. Uh, the you know the participants this year will be nineteen hundred law enforcement officers from all over the world. Uh, mainly from the United States and, and, and a few countries. Uh, we've had participants from other countries as Israel, uh, Australia, England, Italy, uh, India, um, to name a few. Um, so, you know, 1,900 will be this year, as I said earlier, 18 riders to 1,900. And, uh, yes, there, there, there are others, um, participants other than law enforcement. Uh, we provide the ability for survivors to ride. Uh, a, 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 a small percentage of our, our riders are survivors. Uh, and a part of our um, ceremonial aspects is, is that we carry bands, uh, wristbands that are, uh, you know, with the names of the fallen officers. So the officer rides 300 and something plus miles to from New Jersey to Washington, D.C. And then at the, at the culmination of, of, of reaching the memorial, they meet the family, they've contacted the family, and they take that bracelet, and they pass that bracelet over to the family and show that they've taken that bracelet 300-and-something-plus miles on a bicycle. And each and every time that they felt that they couldn't accomplish something or a hill or they were tired or they just felt that they're physically flat and they can't get there, they take a look at that officer who sacrificed their lives and would give every minute that they could to give them at least the support or also to be on the bike next to them. And then they hand that bracelet over to the loved one. And the loved one gets an opportunity to say that, yes, my son, my daughter, my family member has not been forgotten. And what's, uh, tell us what that moment's like upon the arrival. I know you'll be arriving at 2 p.m. May 12th um, this year, but, but take us through that kind of experience, you know, arriving, you know, at the end of the journey and passing off the bracelet. It always seems like the first time, Tony. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, past several years, I have not, uh, you know, ridden the bicycle because of the administrative responsibilities. Uh, but I get out and I greet every single rider as they pass through, and you actually feel, you know, the emotion from every rider as they pass. Sometimes you see tears. Sometimes you hear screams. Sometimes you see arms being thrown up. Sometimes the emotion is so overwhelming that, you know, you're seeing hugs and people stopping and jamming up the line, and you understand it because you become emotional and you, you, you feel you know, the officers, like I said earlier, you know, the 20,789 names that are on that wall now, you feel them saying, welcome back, you know, thank you. And you say to yourself, well, thank you. You watch them quickly get off the bicycles and surround the wall and accomplishing a full circle of blue, which happens to be the colors of our jerseys. And you see some stop to etch or lay mementos or hug a family member, but you get an opportunity to see something that is so beautiful. And so amazing that, you know, officers are embracing each other. There is no barriers. There's no rank. There's no race. There's no colors. There's no creed. There's no religions. It's just one. And that's the thin blue line. And that line is represented by honor 
and respect. It's not done because you're not trying to uh, tell the truth about something or whatever a media uh, uh, change in the name or the dynamic of the name is. The importance of I've seen it and I see it each year. So it is like the first time every single time when you go there, the emotion, the hair standing up on your arms, you know, the care and, 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 the, and the absolute amazement of respect to stand along every single man and woman that is arriving at that time. Wow, it sounds like a real uh, special event. Uh, just for our listeners, that they wanted to uh, just get some more information and read about it a little bit more, let me give your website here. It's policeunitytour.com. That's policeunitytour.com. Um, and I know you're you're Pat, you're busy preparing for it next week, so yes. we're going to let you go here in a little bit. But I want to I want to have you just comment a little bit about some of the other um, initiatives you're working on with the Memorial Fund, um, uphold the line, and the you know, stuff that you're doing with the museum. Uh, you know, I, I, I've had a, a very long relationship with uh, Craig Floyd. You know, over the years coming through, and he's become a very close friend, and he's he's amazing to law enforcement and and the accomplishments that he has made, and gave me like I said, an opportunity to come aboard with the National Law Enforcement Memorial as a senior director and uh, be involved in the law enforcement side of public relations. And, uh, you know, with that, you know, the responsibility comes that you want to make sure that, you know, the vision and the new vision of having our museum uh, becomes a reality. You know, and he's worked so tirelessly to make that happen, as he explained earlier. Uh, But we wanted to make sure that we were able to you know, have our stories being told. And a part of that was to honor the living as well and to tell the stories to the citizens, uh, as, you know, has been said many times by Craig, that they, there's not too many, you know, contacts that, law, that citizens come to law enforcement, you know, on a daily basis unless it happens to be engaged in an incident or, you know, just general conversation. And here's going to be the opportunity for the full story to be told. So we came up with an idea uh, uphold the line, uh, you know, let's build our house campaign, uh, for a matter of words. And that was to, uh, honor officers who are currently serving officers who are going to just serve coming from the Academy, retired law enforcement officers and past law enforcement officers who didn't pass in the line of duty to put their names in a museum with a bio, uh, to, uh, feature their picture and, and uh, uh, a brief story. So that it could be read by the citizens and see that 900,000 plus law enforcement officers and and therefore the the past as retired officers as well. And, you know, uh, if they participate uh, in that, it's at a cost of three hundred dollars and three hundred dollars. It's not about the money. It's, It's about, I believe, that we should be right next to those who are fallen. We served with them and thank the Lord that we did not pay with our lives. But our families have sacrificed along with us because of our jobs, the stress and the unknown. And they've all done it willing, these law enforcement officers. And what a better way to honor them by giving them an opportunity to be a part of the museum for life, the immortality of them being in there for their grandchildren's grandchildren to see their grandma or their aunt or their brother or their uncle or their father or grandpa, whoever it may be. It, it's, it's not so much about the money, Tony. It's, it, it's about representing the core beliefs of what we do. And this program truly presents that. And, you know, Craig gave me the opportunity to, to push this program out, and I'm, and I'm thankful and honored for that. And I believe that it's being received well. And I would like your listeners to, uh, you know, take a look and go to upholdaline.com. Uh, you know, search that on your computer. 
take a look at it. You can find it on our National Law Enforcement Memorial website as well. And, you know, take, take a look and see that you have many opportunities. It's not just about $300 up front. We have, you know, you can take it through uh, credit card uh, deductions, payroll deductions, and one-time fees. And you represent, uh, when you complete that, uh, if you pay up front $300, you're, you're able to uh, get a lifetime membership to the museum, uh, plus one, uh, some discounts in the store. But the most important thing uh, out of that is, is the immortality. Your story is being told to citizens that wouldn't normally hear it, see it, or be able to get an opportunity to see the face behind the story as well. And I believe that that's the, 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 the honor of why each officer should participate in this. You know, Pat, whenever um, you hear somebody say it's it's never about the money, it's always about the money. But in this case, it, that, that really is true. It's a, it's a wonderful opportunity to support something um, that really matters um, in our society, in, in my opinion. Um, we're going to have to stop here for our second break. And I know you're busy, Pat, so we'll uh, say goodbye to you. Um, thanks so much uh, for joining us today, and I hope you have a good next week. Thank you so much, Tony, and and thank you, Craig, for the opportunity for being on the show as well. Well, thanks for taking some time today. Look forward to seeing you in just a couple days and uh, welcoming you at the memorial on May 12th, 2 p.m. For those that uh, are in the area, we'd love to have you come out and welcome the Police Unity Tour, some 2,000 officers and survivors from all over the country. So we'll take our second break, and when we come back, we'll continue our discussion about the upcoming events of Police Week and the other initiatives that the Law Enforcement Officer Memorial Fund is involved with. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. If you're a federal manager, you deal with a lot of information. Here's a tip on breaking through the noise. Join the Federal Managers Association to have a voice on Capitol Hill. And to get filtered news and information specific to managing your workforce, join the 50,000 other federal managers who already subscribe and read the free weekly e-report, fedmanager.com. I'm Todd Wells, Executive Director of the Federal Managers Association, and I approve this message. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. I'm Tony Vernetti, and I've been speaking with Craig Floyd from the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund. And we've been talking about the events of Police Week um, that are going to commence next week. And we were talking a lot about the Police Unity Tour, um, which is going on. But, Craig, I want to talk about uh, one of the um, other events that I know is, is real special to what you all do, um, which is the, the Candlelight Vigil. It's, hard, it's the 28th annual. <laughs> It, hard to believe. 28 right. years of candlelight vigils uh, during National Police Week. It all started, interestingly, uh, with a lunch uh, meeting I had with a woman named Susie Sawyer. She founded a group called the Concerns of Police Survivors. And she was also very involved in organizing the first National Peace Officers Memorial Day service. Uh, that would have been May 15th, 1982, uh, before the memorial was uh, was even uh, part of federal law. So 
Susie and I were sitting down one day, and we, we knew we were on the verge of building a National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial, but even before it was built, we wanted to do something on the site uh, that would focus attention on uh, what we were about to do, building this national monument to honor law enforcement. The Fraternal Order of Police and their auxiliary had already begun in 82, this Peace Officers Memorial Day service, and that was a daytime event. Uh, it moved around different locations throughout the city. It's since found a home on the grounds of the U.S. Capitol, and that'll be this May 15th, uh, as it is every year, uh, 11 a.m. start, and uh, we'll pay a special tribute to the fallen officers during that ceremony. But we wanted to do something different. Um, we didn't want to repeat their ceremony, so what could we do? Susie mentioned that there was a candlelight vigil that had been held in Arizona uh, that paid tribute to the fallen officers. And she suggested maybe we'd consider a candlelight vigil here in Washington, D.C. during National Police Week. And so 28 years ago, we held our first candlelight vigil at the memorial. Uh, there were about 2,000 people in attendance, uh, a very large crowd uh, by most standards. Uh, but I will tell you, Tony, as you know, uh, since uh, that first year, it's grown to where this year we'll probably have 25,000 or more guests uh, joining us. Now, interestingly, this year's a little different. Uh, we're going to be moving it from the memorial site itself, where we've held it for 28 years, to the National Mall. Uh, and the reason for that, as we alluded to earlier, we're building a National Law Enforcement Museum right across the street. That's meant that we've lost some of the, uh, the property that we typically uh, have our guests uh, gather on. And as a result, we just don't have the space to accommodate the large crowd uh, during the construction phase for the museum. That'll last about two years. So we're going to move to the National Mall between 4th and 7th Streets Northwest uh, with a beautiful backdrop. Can you imagine being down on the mall at night with the U.S. Capitol shining brightly uh, as a backdrop? Uh, I think it'll be beautiful. It'll be perfect. It'll be the space that we need to accommodate this large crowd. And by the way, symbolically, it's very appropriate because the memorial and the museum for law enforcement were both uh, enacted into law authorized by the United States Congress. So it's a nice reminder of where all this started from. Uh, and it reminds me of my days with Mario Biaggi uh, when we first uh, came up with the idea of the memorial and, and got it done. Um, bottom line, uh, we have the Attorney General of the United States, Secretary of Homeland Security, Jay Johnson, will be with us as featured speakers. The president of the Concerns of Police Survivors, Brenda Donner, whose father was killed in the line of duty back in the 1960s. She'll be with us speaking on behalf of the survivor community. Uh, and we'll have, again, 25,000 or so folks, many of whom are law enforcement professionals uh, from all over the country, some from around the world. We always have uh, visitors from Canada and Australia and Great Britain and Italy uh, and so many other nations have joined us uh, to pay their respects to the men and women, their brothers and sisters in the profession who've died in the line of duty here in the United States. We have beautiful songs. Music is a huge part of these ceremonies. To me, it's what really people remember most. Um, and, uh, of course, we'll be reading the names of the officers that we're adding to the memorial this year. There are 252 new additions to the memorial. Those names have already been inscribed uh, by our engravers that come out every year during April to do the work. Uh, they've, uh, their names are Jim Lee and Kirk Bachman. i got to give them a little shout-out. They've engraved every name on the National Memorial. They finished their work just about a week ago. 
Uh, and uh, this year, the 252 names that we'll be reading, 123 of those officers died last year. And the others uh, died earlier in our history. And we have a research staff working full time to make sure that we uh, research the, the officers who died either in the past year or years earlier, that we verify that that, that information is correct with the department they served with. And then their names are, are added to the memorial and they're officially dedicated at our candlelight vigil. What's the, there's one I always ask you about. What's the oldest one where you, the oldest in length of time has been? Is there one from well, is, this is year, Louisiana? Isn't there, wasn't there one? The first officer ever to die in the line of duty was Cornelius Hogaboom. He was a Columbia County Sheriff in upstate New York, uh, shot and killed in 1791. Now, we only learned about Cornelius Hogaboom about five years ago. All right. Up until then, we had no idea that there was an officer named Cornelius Hogaboom who had been shot and killed. Uh, but with the help of our volunteer researchers from all over the country, you'd be amazed at how many retired cops and, and even active cops uh, are sending us information uh, that they come across in their local library, newspaper files. They hear about it uh, through rumor and then they research it for us. They send us the information and those names get on the memorial. This year, our earliest death that we'll be adding uh, occurred in 1867. Oh, wow. So, uh, and, and that officer, tragic story, first day on the job, shot and killed, uh, much like uh, a stark reminder of what happened with Ashley Gwinden right. in Prince William County, Virginia, just uh, about a month ago. Right, right out of um, training. Uh, terrible story. First day on the job, killed in the line of duty. But this officer will be remembered, and, and their name is now on the memorial, and they'll be forgotten no more. Now, you may have already mentioned this, but um, I want to emphasize again um, that if you can't make it out to the Candlelight Vigil, it'll be streamed live through the, on the Internet? Correct. We, we do that every year, um, and we're, we're going to do it again this year. You go to our website, and you can sign up uh, to see the simulcast uh, over the Internet. Uh, it'll, you'll be able to watch it from your home, wherever you may be watching, uh, and you'll see the entire ceremony uh, from beginning to end live as it happens. And just so our listeners know, the website is N-L-E-O-M-F. I don't know why I do that. It just shows my age. If you just type in Law Enforcement Officer Memorial in your Google yeah. machine, yeah. it will pop right up. And, and <laughs> lawmemorial.org is one that I, I like to, to keep simple. Uh, but, yeah, you can type in anything close to National Law Enforcement right. Officers Memorial, and you'll come up with our website, right. and you'll be able to find out how to sign up. So let's talk just quickly about some of the other events next week. Um like I know there's the, the, the annual law ride um, that you are involved in. Um, can you highlight some of the other events that will be going on? Yeah, I mean, this Sunday uh, we'll be having law ride, uh, and that's uh, typically, you know, if people around here are familiar with Rolling Thunder, uh, Memorial Day weekend, uh, typically to uh, honor the uh, veterans of war who have died in the line of duty. Uh, a lot of that originated from the Vietnam Veterans Memorial. Um, and we do a mini version of that. It, uh, we don't see quite the numbers that they get, but uh, hundreds and hundreds of officers and citizen supporters are, are certainly welcome to participate as well, and many do. Uh, and they ride from RFK Stadium to the memorial. They'll be arriving uh, at the memorial around 11 a.m. Uh, this Sunday morning. Um, and tomorrow, actually, on Saturday, uh, I'll be participating in a wonderful ceremony that I do every year at the memorial. It's to honor fallen correctional officers who've died in the line of duty. 
Uh, many, many correctional officers have paid the ultimate sacrifice. Uh, I believe the number now is right around 700 correctional officers killed in the line of duty, many of them from the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. And tomorrow, the uh, uh, Council of Governments, COG, they call it, uh, their corrections chief sponsor a um, an annual event uh, at the memorial where we pay tribute to fallen correctional officers from this area, especially in uh, Carolyn Cross, a D.C. Uh, corrections Department um, assistant director, uh, will be honored. She was tragically murdered on her way uh, on a business trip, a training uh, trip. She was going to uh, Atlanta, Georgia, I believe it was, when she was actually murdered. And uh, Carolyn Cross's name will be added to the memorial this year and officially dedicated at our candlelight vigil. We'll be reading her name tomorrow, along with all the fallen correctional officers that we honor every year at this beautiful ceremony. Um, And I believe that's at 10 a.m. tomorrow morning at the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial. So uh, another great tribute. Um, You could go on and on. May 15th uh, certainly is a ceremony. uh, much like the candlelight vigil, you'll get crowds in the 25,000, 30,000 range. That'll be at the U.S. Capitol at 11 a.m. Uh, we mentioned the welcoming ceremony for the police unity tour. That'll be on May 12th, uh, and that usually occurs right around 2 p.m. Um, and, and so many other, you know, we call them smaller events, but, you know, these are events like the unity tour arrival. Smaller event, uh, about 5,000 people will be gathered at the memorial grounds that day. It's truly an amazing sight to see. Uh, and so many other groups hold their own ceremonies at the memorial. I'm so thankful that, uh, you know, our organization, while we organize a lot of what goes on during Police Week, there's a lot of groups that do their own thing at the memorial. Uh, and I'm so proud of the fact that they've adopted and embraced that memorial as their own, as they should. That was the intention. And uh, they have their own personal events there uh, ATF, uh, Marshal Service, uh, Naval Criminal Investigative Service. You can go on and on, all the groups that are there during National Police Week. And if you're if you're a baseball fan, they're also having an event at the Nets game Saturday night, May, May 14th. May 14th, and, <laughs> and unfortunately I have a competing event. Uh, we're, we're having our awards dinner that night where we oh. honor our officers of the month and uh, what we call our Destination Zero Awards, uh, agencies that have done great things to promote officer safety and wellness. But at Nats Park, uh, and I'm going to miss this uh, terribly because I'm a loyal fan, um, the Nats are going to have Law Enforcement Appreciation Night, um, and there will be uh, special donations uh, back to us from some some of the ticket sales, and there will be some on-field ceremonies that take place before the game honoring American law enforcement. And one, one event I wanted to emphasize, you talked a little bit about concerns of police survivors um, before, and, and I know I, I did a radio show with them last year, and they put on a, a, a nice conference um, for police survivors um, you know, that's going to commence May 14th at the, at the Hilton um, in, Al- in Alexandria. Um, that's really a good event. Um, Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, that lo- launched right around the time that the Memorial Fund uh, launched in 1984, uh, so they, they celebrate their same anniversary that we do this year. Uh, the bottom line is they bring in survivors and have since 1984, give them grief counseling sessions. Um, this is not only the, the spouses and the children of, of fallen officers, but it could be the parents, could be siblings, could be the colleagues, uh, the men and women who served and were good friends with that officer who died. They suffer terribly. They need some of this grief counseling help as well. So I'm so proud of the partnership we have with Concerns of Police Survivors. And, Tony, I'll tell you, the place I want to end Police Week every year, and, and always do, 
is at a luncheon that the Concerns of Police Survivors hold out at the Hilton Hotel in Alexandria. And uh, they end the week with uh, uh, some humor, uh, with some inspirational speakers, and ultimately with song and dance. And we all hold hands. We march around the room. Everybody has a smile on their face. And these are men and women and young children that have lost a loved one. Uh, They've suffered terribly. But at the end of police week, they all have a smile on their face. And they all go home, I think, feeling a little better about life than they did when they came. Well, you know, that's something that really resonated with me doing the show with them uh, last year. You know, is it's police week and honoring police officers. Um, it's not, you know, it's not all about honoring the the fallen police officer. You know, because after you know the caskets down or after the ceremonies, everybody goes home. You know, survivors have to carry on. You know, they have to carry on, and it's really honoring. You know, honoring them. It's how you know their loved ones would really would really want it. Um, so it really is an important, I think, part of the whole week and, and the, all the events that go on. I think so many of the guests that, that come to Washington during police week will tell you the same thing. I mean, it's, it, they're there as much as, as they get a lot of enjoyment out of meeting their fellow colleagues from all over the country and the world. Uh, they're there really to honor the family members, uh, the survivors who've been left behind and show them solidarity, show them that they'll always be part of the law enforcement family. We're going to stop here for our third break to hear from our sponsor. When we return, we'll wrap up today's discussion with Craig Floyd from the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. We are entering our last segment of the show, and we've been talking with Craig Floyd from the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund um, about the uh, good events that the Memorial Fund does for Police Week, which are going to start next week here in Washington, D.C. Um, but, Craig, I'd like to talk just a little bit about um, some of the other um, stuff you do at the Memorial Fund, which is put out the statistics, you know, you know, about the law enforcement fatalities and the and the serious injuries that are impacting our law enforcement officers. I think it's important to, to and we realized this early on, and I'm glad we did, because uh, as much as we wanted to build that National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial as a tribute, uh, especially to the men and women who made the ultimate sacrifice and the families that have been left behind, we wanted to honor every officer who serves. But uh, I I think to do that, we really have to show them how much they are valued. And how do you do that best? You try to do everything possible to make it safer for the officers serving today. So uh, as much as we love paying tribute to the uh, fallen uh, and certainly honor those who have sacrificed through serious injury in law enforcement service, we got to make sure we we make it safer for those who continue to serve. We got to make sure that they don't suffer that, that tragic fate of having their name go on the National Memorial. So how do we do that? Um, uh, put it in perspective, let's look at the statistics. Back in the 1970s, on average, we lost 232 officers every year in the line of duty. 
second deadliest decade in law enforcement history. The only uh, deadlier time uh, was the 1920s, right, in the heart of Prohibition, the most deadly period for law enforcement in American history. So in the 70s, 232 officers dying each and every year. Now, they had half the number of officers serving in the 70s that serve today. You would have thought that more officers uh, at risk, more officers who would die in the line of duty. Not the case. Thanks to uh, some great leadership by the Department of Justice, by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, by our organization, the Memorial Fund, and so many of our organizations who are members of our board of directors, we have focused great attention on officer safety like never before in our nation's history. And so I'm very proud to say that over the last three years, there have been fewer officers killed in the line of duty than at any time since the 1950s. Okay, so we're really at historical low uh, fatality figures uh, when you think about that over the past uh, many decades. Um, And why is that? Uh, One of the things that that's happened and and perhaps the leading reason is officers are wearing bullet resistant vests. Uh, The body armor that they wear today, um, either under their uniform or sometimes lately over their uniform, uh, those vests have saved more than thirty one hundred officer lives. That, that's uh, data that's been documented by the DuPont Company, which makes the Kevlar uh, bullet-resistant fiber, and the International Association of Chiefs of Police. So that's 3,100 names that would have gone on our memorial if not for bullet-resistant vests and the fact that more officers today wear vests than ever before. Uh, also, less lethal weaponry. Less lethal weaponry. Taser stun guns is a great example Uh, allows officers to keep a safe distance from a resisting violent felon. Uh, I had a ride-along in Hennepin County, uh, Minnesota. Uh, That's a Minneapolis area. Uh, And an officer had a taser on his gun belt. And I asked him about it. I said, what do you think about that taser? Has it helped you? He said, let me give you a good example. Before I started uh, carrying my taser, I engaged in a hand-to-hand combat situation at least once a week. Once a week with a resisting felon. He says, over the last year, I've had this taser with me. Haven't had one incident of hand-to-hand combat with a resisting violent felon. Uh, The tasers work. uh, The data tells us uh, overwhelmingly that it reduces injuries, not just to the officers, but to the suspects that they're dealing with. So I think people need to understand that because I think uh, there have been times where isolated incidents have caused people to question the value of taser stun guns. The fact is they they reduce injury and death for the officers and criminal suspects. Um, Better emergency medical care, better training, uh, drive slower. Uh, Unfortunately, 15 in the last 20 years, uh, more officers have been killed in traffic-related incidents than have been killed by firearms. Uh, That's a reversal of historical trends, uh, and it certainly would be surprising, I think, to most people to know that the roadways are are more of a cop killer than guns are uh, of late. And uh, so officers have to drive slower. They have to be trained to deal with these very dangerous conditions that they often have to deal with on the roadway. So we're very proud of the record uh, in law enforcement safety. We're also emphasizing wellness. Uh, We have a program now in partnership with the Bureau of uh, Justice Assistance. It's called Destination Zero, uh, which basically tells us uh, what our goal is. Our big, hairy, audacious goal is zero fatalities for officers in a single year. Uh, We may never see that goal but we're certainly going to get a lot closer to it by setting, uh, setting it the bar high. Um, and uh, as a result, what we're doing is we're uh, getting information from agencies all over the country that have innovative and successful 
officer safety and wellness programs that they've implemented, and we're sharing that information with all the other agencies across the country. And this year during Police Week, we'll be honoring those that uh, deserve top awards uh, for doing the most to promote officer safety and wellness. And uh, we're very proud of what we've accomplished as a result of that program. Craig, I wonder if you could tell me what the, and I think this is, might be a segue in to talk a little bit um, about, you know, more about the National Law Enforcement Museum um, and what that's going to bring. Um, but I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about what the Memorial Fund may be doing to, how do I want to just change the, the perception um, towards law enforcement officers, you know, in certain communities. Um, you know, how people are acting, you know, how they perceive, you know, their officers out there. Like, I think you gave me the example, some statistic about how often people come in contact, you know, with police officers, you know, it's just not that frequent unless something's going wrong. And, and that's the problem. Uh, thankfully, most of us will never have a contact with a law enforcement officer, and we should all be thankful for that. Uh, one out of five Americans typically have a contact with an officer during the course of a year, and most of those are traffic stops. So that means fewer than 10% of the American population has a positive interaction with a law enforcement professional. Uh, so unfortunately, the, uh, some of the media uh, that's been out there uh, focusing on isolated cases, sometimes misinformation is presented, sometimes it's sensationalized. Uh, what we see in pop culture, on television, in the movies, uh, that's the image that people have of law enforcement because they don't know the realities. They don't meet the real officers. They don't have the opportunity, the privilege that I get every day to meet these men and women who do these incredible things. So uh, this museum that we're building is hopefully going to allow people to not only meet the officers, but hear their incredible stories. There are many myths about law enforcement that we're going to debunk with this museum and that we try to debunk every day when I'm out on uh, doing media interviews, doing speeches, doing whatever I can to promote law enforcement in this country. For instance, uh, the Cato Institute recently did a study, found that fewer than 6,000 complaints of misconduct have been filed against officers every year in this country. You overlay that against the 900,000 sworn officers serving. You realize that more than 99% of the officers in America today do not have have complaints of misconduct filed against them. They're doing their jobs properly and professionally. And for that, we can all be very thankful. You mentioned um, the contacts that officers have. Uh, 62 million contacts with citizens uh, every year by law enforcement in this country. Uh, and on average, uh, an officer uses or threatens the use of force less than 2% of the time. Most of the time, they do their job without ever having to draw their weapon, let alone use it. Uh, most of the officers serving today will never fire their weapon in the line of duty. And I think that's a myth that, that most Americans w wouldn't understand. Uh, and I'm sure watching television, they assume every cop is out there firing <laughs> their weapon at least once or twice a week. Uh, most, uh, most cops will never fire their weapon ever uh, in their many, many years of service. So these are some of the myths that we'll try to debunk. I'm afraid that uh, what's happened in the media, especially they've helped to amplify these few isolated cases of misconduct or perceived misconduct by officers. And unfortunately, there's this broad brush that has been used to paint the entire profession as having acted improperly or unprofessionally or perhaps abusive uh, when it comes to force. I just gave you the statistics that prove that that's not the case at all. Uh, and I hope when people visit this museum and have the chance really to walk in the shoes of an officer, 
Go through a shoot-don't-shoot use-of-force judgment simulator. Realize the split-second decision-making that's required by officers at times uh, and how they most of the time make the right decision. Most of us wouldn't be able to do that because we don't have the training uh, or the capacity that they have. Go in the Take the Case uh, uh, exhibit that we'll have. You become the detective. You learn how forensic science is really used to solve crimes, not how it happens on CSI on television, but in reality. Uh, And you become the uh, dispatcher in the 911 emergency call center. Um, And you learn how that system is so helpful in saving lives and how critical decisions are made. So for that, um, I think people are going to love this museum. It'll be a must-see destination in Washington when it opens uh, in the 400 block of E Street Northwest in 2018. Well, you talk about doing the doing the simulation stuff. I think about the flight simulators. Anybody could take the plane off, but but everyone's crashing it when they're trying to land. When you're trying to do the real the real hard stuff, um, how does somebody contribute to to either the memorial fund or, or the museum? Well, the, the best way is go to uh, our website lawmemorial.org. Uh, and they can find us very easily. There's a contribute button there, a donate button. Like all nonprofits, we rely uh, entirely on uh, the generosity of caring people that uh, support the law enforcement profession. Uh, And we've been very uh, thankful that some 4 million Americans over the many years that we've been in existence have contributed to our cause. And I think that shows us without any doubt uh, and it should be a signal to every officer in America that they have the uh, full support of the vast majority of Americans. Sometimes that support is a, coming from a silent majority, but I think what's happened of late with the dialogue and, and the n- narrative that police are working under, more of those silent majority are coming out and expressing their support. And one way to do it is uh, send us a donation to the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund. Pat mentioned his program, uh, a sustainer program, we call it. Citizens can sustain the museum through a contribution or law enforcement officers can, and that's upholdtheline.com. So, Craig, that's all the time we have for our show today. Thanks so much for joining us. And thanks to to all of you for listening. If you have time next week, please get out and participate in some of the events of Police Week um, to honor those officers who paid the ultimate sacrifice and died in the line of duty. Just a reminder that Fed Talk is brought to you by the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. Have a great weekend, everyone.